The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode seven of season two of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factor Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I usually save this for the end of the episode, but if you don't mind and if you enjoy the show, drop over to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five-star rating and drop a nice review. If you don't mind, that helps spread the word and get this show to a wider audience. All right, this week's guest, one of my personal favorite drummers, the great Joey Warnker. If you're not familiar with Joey, um, he's, to my mind, a definitive like post-grunge indie rock drummer. His early, most notable work is with Beck, and he's continued with Beck throughout his entire career. He spent a handful of years with uh, R.E.M. He's been involved with Tom York of Radiohead's projects, Adams for Peace, and also Tom's solo, solo work. Um, he's got his own projects, Ultra Ista, and most recently, a duo with Mauro Rafosco called uh, Jamoro. I highly recommend checking out both of the Ultra Easter records and the new Jamoro record uh, if you want to get a true glimpse of what Joey is all about. And then uh, then the past handful of years and continuing on, Joey's been touring with the great Roger Waters of Pink Floyd. As you'll hear, Joey's a very thoughtful, um, creative mind. He really, especially with his gear choices, which is what the show is all about, we dig into you know why he picks the drums he picks and you know what his curtain obsessions are, how he recreates the pink classic Pink Floyd sound. So there's a lot to dig into. So let's get right to it. The great Joey Parker. So <laughs> I was thinking about the last time we talked. You were just finishing up a tour with Adams for Peace. And I believe the first Ultra Easter record had just come out and you were just about to go on tour with them. And then you had a kid, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been yeah, a minute. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's about to be nine. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Totally crazy. So yeah, that I know that was quite an eventful little, uh, little, uh, uh, period in my life. That's for sure. And then, so last year, another Ultra Easter record came out. So what happened in eight years there for there to be such a big gap? Oh, I know. Um, We're, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're just so busy with a million things and, uh, um, and then, but, 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 but it's so cool that, uh, you know, we, we were still like interested and then there was a minute of of uh of there must have been like a period where um nigel found like some stuff that we had done and just developed it and then he was like he was like check this out there's an there's another here's the next ultra easter record it's like oh wow that's right because we had we had uh we had done a bunch of we had done a bunch of like sort of basic ideas so Oh, okay. So, he, so those were yeah, he, produced he years ago then? Yeah, kind of like when we were when we were doing shows and stuff after the first uh the first record came out. So Okay. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in the mean so since then, what has happened? Yeah. Uh you did a run with Beck, um a bunch of shows with with roger waters (laughs) what else has been going on it's like you haven't slowed down one bit yeah yeah i mean the touring with roger waters was was uh is pretty full-on actually that that like took up 
Well, I, let's see. I did a record with him in 2015, and then the touring stuff went pretty much up until 2019. Yeah. And then we were going to go out again in 2020. So, uh, yeah, so it kind of takes me all the way for up to uh, it filled filled up the, those years. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't, I didn't have much other, much time to do much else. And then I was kind of taking advantage of the time in between tours and just, you know, being like family dude. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> is there any, any plans on going back out with him or is it all changing now? Yeah, we're actually going to go out next summer. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it got delayed for, I guess that's a two year, two year, uh, pushback, which, which is, you know, but it's good. And actually in, um, in January of 2020, we had moved house to kind of like a more to Pasadena, which is kind of like we were living in Silver Lakes, kind of more like suburban where we are, but it's really cool. And it was like kind of pandemic perfect. Mm. (laughs) And, but then also like, you know, more kid friendly, but I also gained a, uh, like there was a separate structure where we live. That was, um, the previous owners, uh, he was a painter. It was just like painting studio. So it was kind of like, I, now I have this kind of big, awesome space, which I'm in right now. So, so yeah. So then since, since all of that business in 2020, I've been like, you know, just almost like every day doing different things in this room. Is it, um, how do you handle that? If you're kind of committed to be touring, how do you, I guess the past two years you could do as much producing and songwriting and session work as you wanted to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There was really nothing else going on. It's only for me anyway, it's only the last maybe couple of months where I've been like, you know, inter interacting with people in person. Mm. And, uh, um, but yeah, so, so like, it seemed like there was just a, you know, a lot of people who were getting in touch with me f- to put drums on their, on their stuff and remotely. Cause you know, it was hard to, I did some in-person sessions during that time, but it was hard, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it was just too difficult or, you know, depended where people were and all that. It's hard, hard to travel. So so yeah, there's a lot of lot of remote recording and writing projects, producing stuff. I, the Joe Moreau record. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's kind of been. So that's been it's that's actually been a uh, it's the last two years have been like unexpectedly full on in a different kind of way than than you know what I've been used to for the last whatever mm-hmm. ten or something. Is the um is the kit for Roger going to change and what is it? Is it, is it a concert Tom mm. kit? That's a good question. Um, I'm glad you asked, <laughs> but I, cause well, I'm not sure yet. I'm going to wait. I, I don't have the set list yet. Mm. So I will tailor the set that my kit to match what I think will be right for, for uh, the set list. So, but I mean, I couldn't imagine it growing i could imagine it uh you know like maybe because right now i had a um 
my concept for that kit was that I would cover kind of like the sound of um, Dark Side of the Moon and then the sound of the wall. Um, and, you know, and that would be, that would be able to cover kind of the span of, uh, you know, that time of Pink Floyd. So I built up one kind of just like classic rock kit, like, and tuned, you know, like kind of jazzy as it were. Well, but, you know, like the way that, that uh, Nick Mason's drums sounded on those, that like earlier, uh, or, you know, Dark Side of the Moon era. And then around that, I had uh, some dead concert toms, which were more of like the wall sound. But I mean, also just because I like that sound, but, you know, representing that kind of like heavier, thuddier rock tom sound um, so that I, you know, it was fun. So I would have like, and then we did a thing where my, with my drum tech where we switched we switched snares, which I had started doing with Beck uh, um, at Beck's request. He was like, well, can't you, can't you just switch snares? It's like, like what? And then I thought about it. I was like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. As long as, you know, my, I have a drum tech and he's into it and he was super into it. And so for the Roger show, I said, let's do it. Let's keep doing the snare swap and we'll just do, you know, low, medium, high. And that should be, that should cover everything. Um, and he was like, when we were, when we started getting into it, I, I really prepared like even before rehearsals, I was like conceptualizing the kit and working with the set list and talking to my drum tech and talking about the snares and he kept he was like no dude you gotta get you gotta get more you gotta like wait we need a fourth one like let's get a little more specific <laughs> nice <laughs> he was like i'm not afraid to do it for every song and i was i was like i mean okay but i don't think we need to i don't think that makes sense but <laughs> but we ended up with six <laughs> no kidding for how many songs yeah. For, I mean, it was a pretty big set. Uh, uh, God, I should know that number. That's ridiculous. But uh, I mean, it was like a two and a half hour show. Yeah. Some of the songs are very long. Mm -hmm. So, um, but like, it was great. I mean, yeah. So we showed up with six. He was like, let's go with six snares. We know, you know, we know what the main three are going to be, but this way, like, there's a more leeway and, and it was cool. Cause like there were, you know, some of the things that we did on the new record that had like a super high snare. Um, so like I was able to cover that and I hadn't thought of it. Mm. So, and, and it was just for that song, but it was so cool. cool. It, it, it really, you know, really made a difference. Uh, yeah, and then I can't remember. There was another one on the new album that was the opposite, where it was like ridiculously low. So, what are the drums? Specific drums? Oh yeah. So, and then I'm using CNC drums. So the car, the Cardwells, lovingly make me these amazing drums that are so beautiful, and mm -hmm. and it's cool. They're like, you know. 
they have so many ideas um, and they're so nerdy and they know that I know every, like I'm such a kind of a geek about, you know, uh, vintage drums mm-hmm. as they are. So they're, you know, they're like in their minds, they're like, well, we can do shells that are like Camco or we can do edges like Camco or we could do Ludwig or we can do Gretsch or so it's, and and then they're like, you know, we can do a spin on that or we can do sonar, which is a little more challenging, but, um, but so like, they, I think they, I was like, let's do the main kit. You know, it was always like a Ludwig, but let's, you know, sort of like you guys do your thing, like Ludwig Camco vibes for like the sort of sixties ish rock jazzy high tuned part of it. And then for the concert toms, like make them more like seventies scratch. Mm. And then, uh, and then the snares at first I was like, we just need, I just want six, like <laughs> six and a half Ludwig, just regular, like Ludwig, what, what, five, what do you call it? Superphonics. Mm-hmm. And they all have to be, if you're switching, they all have to be the same depth. That's the key. Uh-huh. Like we came up with the whole system. So as long as they're the same depth, it's really easy to, uh, you know, swap them. And, and then I was like, and even better if they're the same snare, then it's, you know, something that's very versatile that can be tuned differently. But we ended up with, uh, like, I think only, well, let's see, maybe there's two, two superphonics and a bunch of CNC. And then, um, and then, um, my drum tech, Tim Sawyer, um, he's, very tight and super into um joe montaneri so he was like was like dude you gotta get joe to make you one like so i i i um i did that and that was that was like you know a six and a half that sounds basically like a field drum and he was able to you know kind of make something that was specifically that so. that's super fun <laughs> super fun yeah super nerdy do you have to play them differently? Like when you know the, the super dead guy comes up, you have to play differently or, or is it just a song that makes you play differently? I think, yeah, a little of both. I think you're right though. I think they all have different feels. Yeah. Because I'll be going from like the super high one, which is, you know, just like cranked. And it was a, like some kind of like a brass shell that the Cardwells made me a CNC and and same thing i was like oh man i need a six and a half that can sound you know just like cranked and be you know and they were like yeah yeah these what i mean i know everything can do that but but that in particular was very responsive but then the the montaneri one is like you know a thicker head like an aquarium i'm using aquarian heads and this like weird thick head that they make that lowers the pitch and Mm. tuned you know tuned not like not like ridiculously low but low so yeah it's totally different which i i mean i love it but i i do that like on the the one with the super high tuned snare like i play incredibly soft and which is what the song is and then the low one actually i think i'm laying into it so Mm. 
yeah, it's wild. <laughs> do you do you change sticks for each drum too? I know you have two separate models. No, I found I was like I yeah, I just stick to the I had I had to stick to the same the same thing, but you know what I was doing? I came up we also came up with a system where like I found sometimes I wanted to use the butt end of the stick for the snare. Mm. So so like I would you know, I knew, I mean, I knew which songs that was, was for. And so I would just like, I was switching between like, you know, the front end for the, the snare and the, the butt end when I needed to like lay in and just be a little more like get a thicker sound or something, at least in my head. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How does it translate? <laughs> yeah. I've done that so many times in recording sessions where I'm like, okay, wait a minute, but how does this sound? And I'm like using, you know, the front end of a tiny stick and then the butt end of a bigger stick and, you know, esteemed amazing producers and engineers are like, not a ton of difference. <laughs> <laughs> but for you, it is. It's all that matters. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. It's like a feeling thing sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you get the pink floyd bass drum sound with dampening and tuning what what is what is your approach for that mm. well i initially had i've always struggled with bass drums for live um uh so initially i mean i had it was set up the whole time where i had a 22 and then i had a 24 with a remote pedal like mm. off to the side. So I was like, cool, I'll just switch. And I was trying, you know, we were trying to decide and I was actually like, well, maybe for the more old school stuff, um, we should actually, that would maybe the 24 would be better for that. Mm. And, and so we experimented with that, like, cause we could just make that super pillowy. Cause that was more of the, the sound. Mm -hmm. But then I just found that at the end of the day for the, for live, just one good sounding bass drum was the way to go. And we've messed with it. I mean, I found the most effective way to, to change bass drum sounds is um, I hate to say it, but like triggering something. Mm -hmm. So like with Beck, we were doing that a little bit where I was always wanting to, I mean, I, I guess I did in the old, the old touring days, I would have a, like a cat pedal. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't mind that they're so weird, but I, I didn't mind it. Um, and, um, and I would just have that like down on the floor. And then sometimes I would just switch to the, like triggering a, um, an electric sound. Mm -hmm. Um, but I found like, cause I always used to do like a, a remote bass drum and I could never like dial in getting the, uh, the, um, you know, like a super different character. I have a feeling if you did like a big, a big sound, which would probably just be, you know, typical sounding. And then like, maybe like a tiny, like jazz sound that would work mm -hmm. like almost like a, I mean, I use, I've used an 18 cranked up forever 
and it shocks me. It's like in the room, it's not, it never, they, it never ends up being that different. You know, you'd have to really, it would have to just be like, okay, this is for a soft song or something. But, um, so, so yeah, but tri- triggering samples, unfortunately, or mm. I guess it's not unfortunate, but that's, that seems to be the way to go. What is your current studio kit there? Oh, here? Yeah. Um, I, over, over the last kind of couple of years, well, f- I've, I'm obsessed with fiberglass drums. I've mm. collected uh, so many pearl fiberglass drums for years now. And I mean, a lot, and I guess they're still kind of, sometimes they're cheap, but I would just like, do a thing where I would look around and be like, Oh, there's one for 50 bucks or, you know, that started when like my friend, uh, Scott from Istanbul symbols, Mm -hmm. he saw a giant white, uh, concertom kit in the, in Craigslist. And I was doing like a warm up show with Beck, um, at the Echoplex. And he was like, dude, if you, if you play it, I'll buy it. <laughs> and I looked at the listing, it was like 150 bucks. I was like, dude, you're on, except I'll buy it. Like, if you'll, it was like an hour drive away. I was like, if you'll go with me to get it, like, I'll play it. And you don't have to buy it. It's only 150 bucks. <laughs> and I, I mean, just, the, just like in the last month, I think, like, to, people have called me and been like, you know, I'm looking for this specific sound that you do. Can you like, can you bring that kid? And it's, it's that, it's, it's that, that kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It was a joke, a, like a joke. Yeah. And there was like, Oh my God, this is, the, this is my, the, for better or worse, this is my thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Tom's just sound amazing. And, and that was like with Beck, he was, he just thought it was funny as well. He's like, Oh yeah. Rock like hilarious. That's so ugly and insane. (laughs) And then after we were doing the stuff, he was immediately like, let's go. We have to record with that drum set, like immediately. And that was, uh, the song chemtrails. It was like, just do that stupid shit you've been doing. (laughs) So like, so yeah, sorry, my, I digress. But my my latest uh, obsession was with fives. Okay, yeah, great stuff. Yeah, I love fives, and um, so I found kind of like a a unicorn fives kit, which was a um, uh, bebop like eighteen inch kick, twelve and fourteen inch, twelve inch rack, fourteen inch floor tom. And it's just, it was like, wow, this is definitely amazing. They just, they're cool. They look crazy. And, uh, and then I was looking for more and somebody called me and said, there's like basically like two kits or maybe like a gigantic double bass drum kit that looks like it's never been played. And it's for sale at pro drum shop for like, $1,400. $1,400. And I was like, what? How can that be? And I went and checked it out and I was like, oh no, I can't, 
it's too many drums. First <laughs> and, and I was like, why is it? I was like, I, I know those guys forever. I'm like, they know what they're doing. I'm like, so, so why is it so cheap? Cause it looked like, it looked to me like maybe someone got it. Maybe it was like an endorser back in the seventies mm. and maybe played it a little bit. And then it kind of didn't get like, it had the, the original heads. Wow. <laughs> which unfortunately that had, they'd kind of like um, started to uh, disintegrate pla- like Remo plastic heads. They were like cracking around the edges mm. and it was weird. I'd never seen that, but maybe something to do with the uh, something in the fiberglass. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, uh, yeah. So they were like, Oh, well it doesn't have any hardware. Mm. and the p and the deep the deep collectors i think steve maxwell is super into fives but he was like so yeah the the deep collectors won't buy the buy this kit because of that and so i was like obsessing and then i had coffee with a drummer friend who was like i need i need to buy cool old drums and i was like you want to go in on this crazy fives kit it'll be 700 each we both get these like basically like a full set of drums so yeah so now i have 12 13 14 rack 16 18 floor uh 22 kick and uh the snare drum is my favorite mm. which fiberglass? Guess, it's fiber the fiberglass like regular fives snare is my new favorite it's it's um i mean it's weird it's like it's kind of it's kind of a little bit it's so weird it's like snappy and i know like buddy rich like you can see in so many pictures of buddy rich for years that that's in the photo he Mm. he only used those for a long time and so it's very responsive and snappy but like I feel like no matter how high I crank it, it's still low. Mm. So it's like, and a little bit boxy at the same time. So it's got like this kind of low end thing that's happening, but it's response. Cause I've, I've tried other fiberglass drums through the years and snares. And I was, I was like, they're just weird. They're just ringy. And like, mm-hmm. they're meant to be Tom's. <laughs> <laughs> Now let's talk about snare drums then. That's your that's your current favorite. What would be your I don't know three or so most used snares? I mean, um, in this in the studio, I'm definitely like for a long time. I I got into that like kind of what I was saying before in live. Um, the Ludwig Superphonic. Like I always feel like if um if all else failed, if I was at a recording session and had two just regular Ludwig superphonics, one five and one six and a half, that would cover any scenario, mm-hmm. um, any sound that I would need to achieve. Um, yeah, that said, <laughs> I have a lot of like, uh, a lot of, um, Uh, like twenties Ludwig's, I guess, with those rolled like the Black Beauty style, like with the rolled shell. Mm-hmm. 
and um were they called universals oh i don't know are they i think they might have been called universals oh that's cool that's really yeah i need to i'll 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 um i'll look at this next time i i'm with one but um i don't have any of those at, at my house what do i i mean oh yeah and then i love i fell in love with the pearls when i got into the toms um the pearl i guess they call them jupiters so mm-hmm. they're like chrome over brass and also like a five and a six and a half um is is really really cool um yeah the six and a half jupiter i i have is is for just like a fat low sound i don't think i don't have anything else that's that like perfect Mm. and um yeah what do i have here i have like it's so in my studio here it's crazy i have like this live room that we're in and there's like so that's kind of like a basic kit that's I've set up where I can swap things around. So that's more like the snare changes quite a bit. And then I have like a solid ply, I guess it's a Ludwig. So like from the twenties with a super sensitive snare. I love, and yeah, that's my newest thing too. I'm like, wow, I love the super sensitive snare thing, which I was always like, well, that's, those are, they just, are don't work for you know pop music or getting a low sound but i've figured it out (laughs) okay what's the secret um i don't know well they just it's just a tighter sound and i realized it was like always like stopping the snares like sometimes with tape even like a thin piece of tape at the edge of the snares Mm. and I mean, sometimes you may, I may still do that on the, on a super sensitive, but generally I'm like, if you just, if I just mess with it, I'm going to get that like more naturally. Mm. Um, so, and then it's, it's like, I guess it's, it's just like getting the right sort of tension on the bottom that matches what they're, what they are. I don't know what the mojo is Mm. for that, but, but, um, Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. I wanted to ask you about your snare sound. When I think of your snare sound, it's like dense and like like tight. It's a tight sound and it's dense. Like yeah. as, as a general, you know, all-purpose snare sound coming from Joey Wonker, that's what I think of. And what would be the, is that, would that be the Jupiter? What, what drum would, would you be, go for, for that? I know. Well, I'm crazy. So then like, yeah, the Jupiter does, does that, but like, I'm definitely having a reaction because there's been so many years of, of, uh, 
like the sound of like a low thick snare drum so i've been kind of like you know trying to push against that for a long time and mm-hmm. but it still ends up so it's for example like i have a max roach gretch mm. that i love so that's like a piccolo you know from i guess the one i have is from the well yeah they're all from like the 60s mm. and uh i don't know what they do but let's like you can get kind of like that fat thing but it's just in a higher pitch so like i've been using that drum and getting the same like that sound you described and mm. i'm like that's weird <laughs> that shouldn't be and you know i'm trying like well, i want to make it higher and um uh but but yeah like and then i think the one that i have that does it the best in in this in my studio um i have i have a it's just it's a weird one actually um it's a chrome over brass ludwig like superphonic mm-hmm. but it's from the 70s it's like okay. they didn't really make them so they i think they would make a few on special order and it has a crack in the shell which is why i bought it because i'm cheap <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa, this is a chrome over brass Ludwig and it's only like 200 bucks. What's going on? And it's like, yo, there's a crack. And I'm like hitting and like, it seems really good though. I'm like, they're like, yeah, it's really good. And so, so that one's cool. I have it like cranked up, but with like probably like a shitload of dampening and then the snares are probably like taped Mm. and and that's on a crazy drum set as well. That's on a um, Ludwig standard nesting kit. Have you ever seen those? I have never seen those. Oh man, I was so excited when I saw one. Um, uh, it's I don't know what era they were making them, but you know, definitely it's probably sixties, seventies, mm. and so they're like, t- like wait, it's eight. Wait, six? Anyway, it's like a tiny tom that's, I think, six or eight. Uh, eight, 12, 13, 16, and they're all super shallow. Like, mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of been a modern thing. Um, but they had, you know, those Ludwig Standard always had these kind of weird wraps, which now have, like, seemed cooler, way cooler than they did then, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um but they did the wrap on the inside as well. Weird. Yeah. And then they, and then, so the idea is you, you know, you can just stack them. So it's for your, for your gig. Um, <laughs> so and the weird. Tom, yeah. The three, tom, there's like, it's kind of fun to look up like Ludwig standard nesting kit. And, um, and they sound insane. There's, they're, they're just, the toms are so like, incredibly full sounding um and the kick too they just sound great and with that snare so that's been my like you know probably like that's more like the sound i usually that i don't know i've like recording with beck and i guess other people well and with when nigel's recording me like so that's part largely his is doing as well 
Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so, um, I guess, I guess at the end of the day, back to snares, like I would always, I'm always like, I mean, I, I show up with at a recording session with, you know, like way too many, but, mm-hmm. but I still have this ethos of like, you know, I could just, if like, like, um, a lot like a Ludwig five, six Ludwig, um, and then anything else would be, you know, because that's what we specifically want. Like mm-hmm. if somebody said, I I'm, I'm, you know, I always ask, I'm like, are you going for anything or do you know, or do you want what, like, what kind of do you, th- are there some sound options you're thinking? And usually people are like, I don't know. That's don't bother me with that, but <laughs> that's why. <I'd- laughs> and then you get there and they're like, yeah, we want it to sound like, you know, like, they don't, but you don't know. I mean, we, we know as drummers, I guess, but when you're mixed, a lot of times, um, producers and artists are like, I want it to sound like this record. And you're like, Oh, that's, that's going to take, you can't just set up like any old kit and get that. That's Mm. like, that's going to take some work. Um, and if, if we're willing to do it, I like, I certainly know how to get there, but, but like, it's a bit more sometimes that's more challenging and so i have like tons of old uh like 60s japanese stuff is is pretty effective as well for like a lot of things that i do and are asked for like oh this sort of trashy garagey sound like you know that's that's i can still do that with a ludwig 500 but it's a little harder like Mm -hmm. you got to get it to sound sort of thin and nasty and and whereas you know like or like a james brown kind of like thing Mm -hmm. like some sometimes i'm like oh wow i have a like probably you know like i think pearl usually made them like a like rebranded like probably steel or some metal shell drum from the 60s super cheap and um, crank crank it up with the original heads or old heads, and it has that sound. And with a like a piccolo or something that you would assume would be the thing that would do that, it's like way harder to get mm. authentic. So interesting. So as a producer, engineer, and drummer, are you thinking about what you're going to do to the sound as well after the fact, or do you try to get it? on the way in, you know, 80, 90% where it's going to end up. Oh yeah. Um, as, as a producer, like, well, this last couple of years has been so interesting because I've been recording myself so much. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've learned so much. And so like I was balancing, like if I'm recording myself, it makes a lot more sense to like, you know, not affect the sound going in too much unless I really know what I'm going for, in which case, you know, that makes more sense. But, um, but I'm finding I'm striking the balance now. It's like, cause I'm, it's, I guess it's like anything. It's like experience, like, um, experiencing 
happy mistakes with, you know, oh, I put a microphone, accidentally patched it through a compressor that I didn't mean to that was, everything was turned all the way up and it does a thing. And now I know that trick. So I know I can quickly get that. But I have also recording myself found, you know, how to do it afterwards mm-hmm. in the I mean, and that, that's, it's all like in the box, mm-hmm. but, but there were certain things that I, um, you know, never really cared that much about before because my attitude was like, well, if I'm recording myself at home, like it's never going to be like being in a studio. So like mm-hmm. why even, why, why not just, you know, keep it kind of quirky and raw, but I do have a lot of gear. So now I'm sort of like, okay, I know the tricks. I know it sounds good. So I'm going to EQ the kick and snare now mm-hmm. on the way in. Cause it's, it's a little bit better, you know? I mean, it's not like, and then it's going to get probably it's, it's almost definitely going to get more of it later, but at least that's like, I don't know that's working and and then maybe an overhead has an EQ on it and some compression. Like I, early on, I was like lay off the compression. Mm-hmm. And then after months of doing this, I was learning how to like, you know, knowing when to use it a little more um, intensely and knowing when to use it a little, a little more sparingly and how to do that in a, in a better way, depending mm. on, you know, the application and, you know, and it goes, I'm like, wow, it goes for things from, for me, my own productions and things for, um, you know, if someone's wants me to do a drumming session. All right. So let's shift that into, uh, Jamoro. Is that how you say it? Sorry. <laughs> I don't even know. We, yeah, we kind of made it so you could, Joe Moreau because it's uh, Joe Moreau. <laughs> okay. It's Joey and Morrow. Okay. And, 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 uh, yeah. And then we, we are our friends and people around us were like, we were, when we were trying to figure out, you know, band names are always tricky, but we we're finding it particularly tricky being of our age in the era of like, uh, information, um, where every band name is already taken (laughs) Um, or you have to be careful. You come up with a clever band name and, and then, you know, no one's going to be able to, when they Google it, they're going to end up, you know, at a chicken farm or something like that. (laughs) So So Joe Moreau. Okay. Joe Moreau is what we settled on. All right. So, um, this is all going to relate to that producing yourself, but how did that project come about? And I'm very curious about how you guys are writing this material. I find it fascinating to listen to the record and it's so, it's all these little sounds coming in and out. Like, I don't know where did these things start? Like who, what was the first kernel of an idea for a Joe Moreau oh. track? Oh, cool. Well, we started, we were, well, well, he, Maro and I were playing together in Adams for Peace. He's mm-hmm. a Brazilian, brilliant Brazilian percussionist. And, and then uh, he and I 
you know, the thing that we had sort of developed in Atoms for Peace, like playing together and the sounds we were using. Um, one of Tom York's friends who owns a fashion line asked us to do that by ourselves for like a fashion show. And we were like, well, that sounds, that sounds interesting and fun. And so um, that started the collaboration and then from from that we decided we met up and you know we both came up with some ideas that we could so we wouldn't just be like jamming um um because we did that too and it was sort of like cool now we have three hours of jam sessions and let's see what happens if we if it's a little structured maybe it'll be easier to you know get motivated to turn them into music and uh so, so yeah, he wrote some stuff at home and had some pro tool sessions and I did the same and, and then we met up and we played and then we went through this thing where we were trading files, like as people do, mm-hmm. but the process, the process for us was mostly, um, like he went through a, um, a round of kind of like um, creating like more musical. They were like super rhythmic, of course. So then he went through a round of like bringing out melodies or like song song idea, more like uh, harmonic and melodic stuff, and then sent it to me. And then I like kind of almost like I don't want well kind of like remixed it but like just took took it and like made forms and made like manipulated sounds so it it it, um try with the thought that maybe everything could like start sounding like they belong together in a collection of music um and then uh and then we just went we kept going back and forth Mm. from there so it was a lot of layering and then editing each other was that the process Basically, yeah, it was that that kind of a process. I mean, and not too not too much. I think it was maybe like there was there was maybe like a total of like two trades, mm. and then um, yeah, and then I would like play it for people, and they would say this is really cool, and I would say I know I think it is too, but I don't know what to do with it. And they would say, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But, but then out of nowhere, I, I, um, I have a, a producer manager and he, I guess I'd given it. I didn't, I wasn't even sure. I, I was like, had, did I give that to you? Like, but he, he, I guess was playing it for people. And then, um, Sony masterworks got involved. So that became like having an, a record label like an A&R guy who's like okay this is really cool but I have this grander vision that was what I think that's what we needed to really like hone it in and uh, and you know and he was they really wanted um, collaborations which to me made sense for this I was like that I'd sort of been thinking the same because it was even though I worked, we worked hard to try and make it sound like it was from the same 
everything was similar. It was definitely like all over. It's definitely all over the place, which I love. But anyway, so that was cool because of their involvement. It meant, you know, I could call. I felt like it gave me the confidence to call like, you know, my friends to mm. add like write vocal stuff on top of it and so on and so forth. Very cool. So the ones yeah. that started with you, what, mm-hmm. what, were, what were your ideas? Were they drum parts? Were they were they harmonic things? What did it start as? Oh yeah, like um, everything for me, I it's basically like drum. I just hear. I realize I've always been this way, where I just hear like um, drum parts and layers and. And like, for better or worse, you know, it's frustrating sometimes. Um, (laughs) But but like, I I love um, like bands like Can and Noi, like the Krautrock bands. And because it's like, sometimes it's just a groove that, you know, keeps going and going, but it's like, it's very, it's so infectious. So I've always been drawn to that and how to create that but i tend to pile on layers and have and i feel have figured out a way to you know make make a sort of puzzle or a jenga thing that sonically holds together Mm. um so like that would be my thing like i would just have an idea of, of a of a drum beat and you know or i think i had one where i was like I have this idea of how to make the drums like maybe trigger a drone. Mm, interesting. So I was like, Oh, I'll experiment. That's that song. No air. It's was like, Oh, I'll experiment with that and see how it works. And, you know, and so that was, that was basically the track. Mm. And there's one where you're playing like a shaker in your left hand instead or right hand instead of a, like is it mm. a snare? You're like hitting a shaker on on the drum or something. I just saw that. What which track is that? Is that the one with Sharon Van Eaton? Van Eaton. Yeah, that's so. That's called Nest, and so that was and that was actually an example of one that was pretty much like mostly almost like a composition that Morrow did, mm. and. And um, it was not rhythmic. Like, you know, he was like, let's have some stuff in there that's not just like a full on, you know, oh, two drummers collaborating. Um, And then whatever we did with it, um, I just thought it was like, she would, she would dig it, I thought. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, And so I sent it to her i yeah i asked her and she was down and i sent it to her and then and then after she contributed um like the track got a little bit bigger (laughs) it was like she she said she gave it like somewhere to go with her Mm. like with her parts so it was cool so what i mean it's probably impossible to ask but what would make you play that shaker on the snare versus overdubbing a different sound after the fact just an interesting choice like you're playing the backbeat by hitting the snare drum with a shaker i believe is what you're doing or hitting the rim well i mean to be to be 
so when I record, cause like the, we were doing those videos and I was, it was the fun thing about those videos was, um, it's like, how can, how, how could we do this live? Basically, like if we mm. were going to go and play and like, what if it was just the two of us somehow, um, how would we pull that off? And, you know, we'd have to use tracks, but so I had to like go back to the sessions and then think about it in those terms. Oh, okay. So I was sort of re reinterpreting it there. Got um, it. Okay. So like when I, everything that was done on that track was like totally layered, like, okay. and I think I just thought, Oh, this sounds like a backbeat. Like if I, if we were doing a show, I could, I could do this shaker and my friend had just given them to me. <laughs> <laughs> he made, he makes these awesome shakers. He, my neighbor, um, that guy, um, Griffin, who's in, uh, um, uh, Dawes. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, he makes these, he sells these shakers that he, he came with an idea where like you like, take a some kind of whatever can that is mm. like it's a small like for a, a small paint can kind of thing and attach the bottom of a drum key so it's like a a, a shaker drum key in one so it means that you can put it on the uh tension rod of your snare drum or drum or a drum mm. um so for i i mean i assume meant for people playing gigs right so you can grab it quickly you can grab it quickly um i found that to be totally ineffective for me because of like first of all i I had trouble getting it on the tension rod and then i and then i had trouble getting it off (laughs) like get caught you know just i was like wow but i suppose you know if you plan it properly but but he made all these different types of shakers with that configuration and and i think one had this very like i was like oh that sounds like the that could work for this as a backbeat for the Mm. okay that makes sense how do you deal with like if you're on a session like a tom york session or something where it's heavily like programmed or produced and then you're coming in to add things on it does that affect gear choice and your how how you approach performing i mean the the tom york record in particular it's like what 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 did joey do on that i can't even tell what's a real and what's not i know he's on some of this but (laughs) i don't even know what it is oh yeah well um i mean that that well well for sure when 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 we're doing stuff i um I mean, there's definitely a discussion. So like, sometimes it's like, well, what would, it would be cool if it was just like a jazz drum kit, like, let's see Mm. what happens. But my go-to is definitely like, how do I interpret, like, how can I reinvent the wheel on this and like show up with, so like, you know, my, I've developed a whole kit around that Mm. where it was like, what will sound like um almost like live drums but a drum machine um if i'm just playing for a live show 
mm-hmm. and then this is going to be really cool because if it works out then it'll be a palette for recording and and uh so that's that's certainly and then so then that ends up being like tiny snare drums and mm-hmm. <laughs> Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I'm just way down the so deep down the rabbit hole <laughs> on that stuff. So yeah, I have a whole kit that's set up that's like a tiny, like a a children's 16 inch bass drum and tiny snares and teeny tiny hi hats from Istanbul and um, noisemakers. I mean, it's not like you know a lot of people do stuff like that, but. Um, I'm definitely drawn to the idea of like, how do you make a drum set that doesn't sound stock, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and then if you're going to be stock, like that's great and that's fun. But like in this, so many of the, the, the collaborations I've done over the years, there, there's the, the mentality of like, everyone's trying to do something new. So. Mm-hmm. And is the electronic stuff, your responsibility or is it already on the tune or is it i mean where does the that stuff oh, come into play well yeah and with tom like he's super deep into into um like i think that's part of his writing process mm-hmm. and also part just part of he, he he enjoys doing that and is you know has a whole thing so i don't even i was like i don't need to go there at all Mm. um it's better for me to just like like um you know be a be acoustic drum guy Mm. and and you know what's going to work with with the samples i mean even like for ultra easta which is like kind of a somewhat of a similar idea but it was more like let's just use a, we can use a small regular drum set and intermingle that with programming. Um, but the last time we, we were doing stuff, I was like, let's, let's use the, the bass drum on the tracks. Mm -hmm. They sound, they, it it gives it this quality where it's like, you know, well, we're trying to make it electronic, hybrid and um it just gives it a, it's like we're, we're 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 committing to using tracks anyway mm-hmm. um so like the sound is amazing and and um it's so solid and and that way that obsession over like different bass drum sounds is is completely achieved because they're already each song already has its own bass drum Wait, so you so, were triggering them, triggering them, or they were on playback, and then you played off of it? I was like, they're just on playback, and I want to play off of them. And oh, um, cool. I mean, and I've tried all kinds of things. Like, we we were doing stuff where we were like doing that that music, which is pretty experimental and electronic, and we were like, we committed to not using tracks. Mm-hmm. And it was a funny thing. It, it was a lot of work and it really, um, it really, uh, um, well, it was super cool cause we were doing it, but like you would have to, 
be a nerd and be like excited because at a show you just hear the music and like if you look at the stage we're we're all or and well no that's mo mostly me like i'm it looked like i was just sitting back there like knitting or something because <laughs> i was triggering pads and trying to keep triggering loops and like yeah. <laughs> i was i was so focused on like all these multitasks and you know nigel's like playing bass and keyboards and looping a thing and doing a vocal thing and the and laura the same like and so to us it was like whoa that's pretty magical um but then i also had the sense of like well wait a minute now i get why like i remember i think i was asking someone in well i won't say who because that's rude but um you know in a band like that that i really liked and i was like oh man how do you how do you do it like we we did this whole thing where you know we don't play with tracks and he was like oh wow well good for you all <laughs> but we yeah we've we you know he was almost like that's what you you're a good musician you think that's what you have to do and uh, then yeah. you you try it and you learn that it's you know it's not as important as you think it is and and then i'm like oh cool if we play with the tracks that means i can actually like play <laughs> yeah perform yeah <laughs> yeah i can perform and and it's not just like wow the drummer's good enough to do all this stuff and it doesn't sound like he's stiff but you know what if the drummer could actually go for it and then you know so so yeah i'm like i was like whoa i'm going all the way like i like if i'm not even playing the bass drum like suddenly it sounds like like it holds up as dance music mm -hmm. um i can still play the bass drum too like but i'm not holding down the the uh the fort that way so like i don't know when when that when i do stuff like that again in the, the future i'm excited to like push the limits on on what you can do creatively with with tracks like that mm-hmm that's exciting. So, man, we're we're at the end of the end of the road here. Uh, Great, perfect timing. Yeah. So, what is on? I mean, what is on the docket for twenty twenty two? You mentioned heading back out with Roger. Hopefully, um, hopefully, hopefully, as planned. You know, nothing changes. We'll go out next summer, and um, I mean, right now, I'm I'm really loving like recording all the time like this like i have been for the last uh two years during this crazy time and i feel like it's it's uh i don't know there's something there's there's something that i'm gonna be doing with that on the horizon but i mean i i am a creature of like i'm like a chameleon i'm constantly like collaborating with other people with new people and um you know but i could see the collaborate older collaborations continuing even though years mm -hmm. go by i could see that happening um but i could also see just like do, you know making mu music being more studio bound and do it but i think you know there'll be there's exciting stuff going on with that well, so. I appreciate you taking the time to hang out today and um, 
Yeah, hopefully I'll get to see you on a gig in person next year. Yes, yes, someday. <laughs> okay, that's it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Joey. And if you do enjoy the show, please drop a review over on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. That absolutely does help get this show into more ears. Um, and go listen to Ultra Easter and Jamaro. And there's a live Roger Waters record that's out with Joey playing classic Pink Floyd tracks and some Roger Waters solo material. Dig into his discography. Very creative. And I'm going to go um, layer on some percussion and drums right now. So see you next week. <laughs>